Amen. 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 That's good stuff, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Um, 2,000 years ago, uh, Apostle John wrote these words in his gospel, beginning at uh, verse 14 of the first chapter. The Word, and the Word that was in the beginning, the Word that was God, the, the Word that made everything, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in close relationship with the Father, has made him known. Wow. It, it, if we really think about that, even for just a moment, we'd have to admit that that is some seriously crazy stuff. I mean, God, the one who has always been and always will be. God, the one who, who carved out the universe with his words. God, the one who spread out the heavens like a canopy. God, the one who is over all things, before all things, and holds all things together. God put on flesh. God walked among us. God moved into our neighborhood. I mean, people like you and I, they, they got to see God with their own eyes. They, had, they got to touch him with their own hands, hear his voice with their own ears. They got to have an encounter with the living God. Now, now last Sunday, we began this new series that we're calling Never the Same, a series where we're flipping through the pages of the gospel and we're meeting people, men and women, who had an encounter with the living God, an encounter that left them never the same. And last Sunday, we met a lady who, when she first met Jesus, she was expecting condemnation, but instead she found what? She found that grace happens here. Grace happens where? Grace happens at the feet of Jesus. Grace, as we just sang, grace has a way of finding us. Maple Grove, grace Believe in grace, stand on grace, embrace grace, and plunge the depths of grace like never before, and it will change you. And listen, let there be no doubt about it. Life change is exactly what we want to be about as a church. I understand, you know, we don't want to be driven by buildings. We don't want to be driven by budgets. We don't want to be driven by events, programs, uh, the opinions of people. We want to be driven by life change. We want to be driven by people living different lives, new lives, better lives. And listen, life change happens. Life change is happening. And life change will always happen when we follow Christ, when we have an encounter with Jesus. And that's why our vision statement as a, as a church is following Christ and life-changing community. And like I said last week, if, if life change isn't happening, if, if people aren't living different lives, uh, then we have lost our vision, uh, we are off mission, and we are simply wasting our time every Sunday coming into this room. Amen? And this morning, as we, 
as we flip through the pages of the Gospels, we're going to stop at John chapter 5, and we're going to meet a guy. John chapter 5, verse 1. Try to picture the scene as I read. Uh, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. You see, they believed that and when the spring bubbled up, that the, that the angels were stirring it, and the first one in got healed. And there was no trophies for second place. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And yeah, that was on purpose. And yes, Jesus was picking a fight, as he always did. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And isn't that just like the religious? I mean, failing to rejoice in the movement of God because things were not done the way they thought things should be done. I mean, here's a guy who had been paralyzed for 38 years, and now the guy is walking, and they're ticked off and upset about it. That's what religious people do, you know? Religious people, you got to, I don't know, maybe you don't have to love them, okay? Uh, And I remember a professor of mine mentioning something that just kind of shows this, you know, uh, he was preaching at a church, uh, Glenbourne, he shared how in this church there was a baptism one Sunday, and people applauded. And there was a meeting after church about how irreverent that was to applaud inside the church after baptism. Forget about the fact that someone just had their sins washed away, right? You know, they, that's what religious people do. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, hey, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. I don't know. For Jesus slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now, now this pool was was, was located north of the temple area in Jerusalem. It was a, a large pool surrounded by five covered colonnades. It, it was built many years ago as a, as a monument to wealth and prosperity, but now its residents are people of sickness and disease. It, it was called the Pool of Bethesda, a, a word which means place of or house of mercy. And that's what the multitudes gathered that, that they wanted. They wanted mercy. And listen to how one author describes the scene. He writes, picture a battlefield filled with wounded bodies, and you see Bethesda. Uh, Imagine a nursing home overcrowded and understaffed, and you see the pool. Uh, Call to mind the orphans in Bangladesh or the abandoned in New Delhi, and you will see what people saw when they passed by. And as they passed by, what did they hear? An endless wave of groans. What did they witness? A field of faceless need. And what did they do? Most simply walked on by, ignoring the people. But not Jesus. He's in Jerusalem for a feast. He's alone. He's not there to teach his disciples or to draw a crowd. The people need him, so he's there. Can you picture it? 
Jesus walking among the suffering? What is he thinking? When an infected hand touches his ankle, what does he do? When a blind child stumbles in his path, does Jesus reach down to pick him up? When a withered hand extends for alms, how does Jesus respond? How does God feel when people hurt? Now, it's worth telling the story if all we do is watch him walk. It's worth it just to know that he came. He didn't have to, you know. Surely there were more sanitary crowds in Jerusalem. Surely there were, there were more uh, enjoyable activities. After all, it's a Passover feast. It's an exciting time in the holy city. People have come from miles around to meet God in the temple. But I love this, what he writes. But little did they know that God is with the sick. Little do they know that the God is walking slowly, carefully between the beggars and the blind. Little do they know that the strong young carpenter who surveys the ragged landscape of pain is God, is a word become flesh. You hear that picture in John 5, if we don't read over it, we take the time to think about what's going on and look at it, it's an incredible, powerful, and troubling scene. Row after row of wounded people. Row after row of sick and hurting people. Question, are things any different today? No. Our world is full of pain, it's full of hurt, it's full of trouble, and it's full of sorrow. Uh, We are surrounded on every side by row after row of wounded, sick, and hurting people. It's everywhere, even in this place. I I mean, when when you look around at the people who attend church with you every Sunday, what do you see? Do you see row after row of impressive people dressed in nice clothes? I mean, I, I, I wear my dress jeans every Sunday, y'all, and my dress socks every Sunday. Look at them things. Man, they they good? Okay. Every Sunday. These are special socks and jeans right here. Impressive people dressed in nice clothes who have it all together, or do we see some hurting people in need of comfort, some troubled people in need of peace, some sick people in need of healing, some desperate people in need of hope? Marshall Hayden wrote an article a few years ago entitled, Would Every Non-Herder Please Stand Up? And he pointed out that people come to church wearing their best smiles and their best clothes. Everybody looks happy, so we assume they're happy. Everybody looks okay. But he suggests that we need to look beyond the facade and realize that the pews are full of hurting people. Here's what he wrote. I love this. He says, over here is a family with an income of $550 a week and an ALCO of $1,000. Over there is a family with two children who, according to their dad, are failures. You're stupid. You never do anything right, he constantly is telling them. The lady over there just found a tumor that tested positive. The Smith's little girl has a hole in her heart. Sam and Louise just had a nasty fight, and each of them is thinking about divorce. Last Monday, Jim learned that he's going to be laid off. Sarah has tried the best she can to cover the bruises that her drunken husband inflicted on her Friday night. Uh, That teen over there uh, feels like he's on the rack, pulled in both directions. Parents and church pull this way, and his peers and glands pull the other way. And then there's some of us with lesser hurts, but they don't seem so small to us. An unresponsive spouse, a boring job, a poor grade, a a friend or parent who left us, or 
is now ignoring us, and on and on the story goes. The lonely, the dying, the discouraged, the exhausted, the fearful, they are all here. He writes, would every nine herder please stand up? It looks like we're all sitting down, right? You know, last Monday night we had an elders meeting, and I love, I love these kind of elders meeting. We met at 6. We, we had a devotion by John Fisk, who's absolutely awesome, and we took communion, and then we shared about what we're going through, what struggles we're facing. And then we came in here and prayed, and, and by the time we got done with that and got into business, it was like 835 and by 9.20, we're out the door. And I got to tell you, guess what? Even though uh, these men are your elders, guess what? And, and I'm your pastor. We have struggles. We have difficulties. We have challenges. We have, we have stuff going on in our lives. You see, just like the people gathered at the pool in Bethesda in John chapter 5, a lot of us in this very room have problems and issues, hurts and habits, fears and concerns, obstacles and challenges that at times seem to cripple and paralyze us. And many times we become convinced that as long as we have them, as long as we have to hold on to this mat, that we're never really going anywhere in life. Now, question, what problem, what issue, what hurt, what struggle, what concern, what fear do you have in your life at the moment that if it would go away, you would feel like your life is so much better? I mean, it's like, Lord, if you would just... And you can fill in the blank in your notes or fill it in your head. Lord, if you would just fix my marriage. Lord, if you would just do something with my finances. Lord, if you would just get my kids to listen to me. Lord, if you would just help me overcome that hurt, that habit, or that hang-up. Lord, if you, would, if you would just remove all of the anxiety and stress and fear that is piling up on me. Lord, if you would just help me see beyond my own insecurity. Now, if you would, I mean, uh, take a moment to ask God to speak about your problem this morning. And, and also, take a moment to pray for the person to your right and to your left. And if you don't know who, who they are, introduce yourself. And, and then we're going to pray. You know, we're going to take a few minutes to pray silently, you know, each of us to pray, hey, God, will you speak to me about my problem, this issue, this challenge, this concern, this fear, this thing that is holding me back? And then you'll pray for the person to your right and your left, that God will speak to them and they'll have ears to hear them this morning. So go ahead and let's, let's do that. You know, little person, introduce yourself quickly. Heavenly Father, God, you know us. And God, you sure weren't lying when you told your guys in this world, we're going to have trouble. Wow. And sometimes for some of us, it seems like we're surrounded by troubles and difficulties all the time and things that seem so much bigger than we are. And so God, I pray that in the next few minutes, God, that I will hear your voice. And so that I don't have to carry a mat anymore, God, so that I can trust you more fully, Lord. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room, God, that we would hear your voice, God, that we would listen, that we would open up our hearts to you, that we'll realize that you are alive, that you are well, and that you're in this room and your spirit is moving with an opportunity for things to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. And now it's clear from our text that though there were a lot of people at the pool that day, Jesus zeroes in and focuses his attention on just one guy. Now, by the way, 
Since Jesus no longer has a physical body, he can focus on every one of us, right? And he has his attention focused on you right now. He's thinking about you. He loved you enough to die for you. The first point in your notes is the man. Now, we don't know, we don't even know this guy's name. In fact, we know very little about him. We simply know that he's been a cripple, John says, for 38 years. That's a long time. And and I believe that this indicates that he wasn't born a cripple. Because if he was born a cripple, then John would have said of him what he said of the guy he met that was blind in John chapter 9 when it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So you see this man in John 5, like us, wasn't born with this problem, wasn't born with this issue, wasn't born with this challenge. It it, it just kind of came on him as he simply lived out his life. And how this guy lost his use of his legs, we don't know. Maybe it was a disease, maybe it was an accident, we don't know. But one thing we do know is that for 38 years he'd been an invalid. For 38 years he'd been paralyzed, unable to stand, unable to walk, unable to run, unable to care for himself. What we do know is that for 38 years, this man's hope, like his legs, were withering away until only a slim glimmer was left. I mean, imagine what it would be like to live that way, especially 2,000 years ago. Crippled, paralyzed, unable to move, hope quickly fading away. And, you know, maybe you don't have to imagine all that hard. Uh, Maybe you've been there or, or are there now. Uh, crippled and paralyzed, maybe not physically, but crippled and paralyzed spiritually and emotionally. Something is just holding you back. Something is just in the way. And as this guy sat under the colonnades that day, looking down at those legs, his mind's eye could see back to the time when they still worked, you know, when, when his legs took him to where he wanted to go, when he could run, when he could walk, when this problem that was now crippling him was not even a part of his life. Wasn't even on the radar screen. But then his thoughts quickly returned to the present. It was spring, the time of the year, the great Passover feast, and everyone had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance from the bitter bondage of Egyptian slavery. And so I'm wondering, perhaps as this guy sat there after 38 years, maybe he thought to himself, if only God would deliver me from my bondage. If only God would set me free from my slavery. If only God would free me from these useless legs. If only this day would be different than the last 13,870 days. Bottom line, this man had a problem and it crippled him literally. If you were to ask him how his life was going, he probably would say, are you kidding me? It's not going good. I mean, look at my legs. Can't walk. Can't run. I can't do anything. And, if there were, you asked, and then if you were to ask him, what would it take to get your life going again? He'd probably say, if I could only walk again, my life would be so much better. Understand, this guy was crippled by his problem, and not just physically. To be cured, to walk again, dominated his every thought. Notice that John records him saying, while I am trying to get into the pool, someone always beats me to it. And the word trying is in the present tense, and it indicates continuous action. So you see, the day that Jesus met this guy, it wasn't his first time at that pool. He'd been there before, maybe every day for 38 years. And I just got to wonder, if this guy didn't have anybody to help him into the pool, how did he get to the pool area? 
You know what I do? I, I picture this guy every day for 13,000 plus days, every day dragging himself up the rocky road of Jerusalem, digging his bleeding and callous knuckles into the ground, just trying to get somewhere to get some help that never, ever came. No doubt about it, this man was driven by the desire to get rid of his problem. It's what drove him to the pool. Question, what drives you this morning? I'm not talking about your car. <laughs> what problem drives you? What, what issue, what concern, what circumstance, what challenge, what habit, what hurt, what, what hang up, what thing, what mat have you been carrying for so long, don't you love my yoga mat, that you're so ready to put it down? 2,000 years ago, a guy on a mat met Jesus, and he was never the same. Next point in your notes is a question. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? And the Greek word translated for well means healthy, sound, unbroken, undamaged, and whole. Do you want to get well? Have you ever been asked a question where the answer seems rather obvious? Now, when I was growing up as a, as a kid, my parents would occasionally ask me those kind of questions. You know, they always called me Stephen, and maybe they'd say, Stephen, do you want a spanking? Yeah, Dad, I thought you'd never ask. Stephen, do you want me to take your car keys? Yes, please take them and keep them. Stephen, do you want to go to bed without any dinner? Yes, I do, and could I please sleep on the floor tonight? You know, it's those here's your sign kind of question. And you guys got to help me do this, right? So all the people around the world listen to our messages every week. <laughs> hey, you in Bangladesh, here we are. <laughs> Rio, we are. I'm kidding. Okay, but, but <laughs> what you got to do is when I finish the joke and I get to that point, I'll go like this and you say, I have no one to help me. And if that's where you are this morning, in the land of I can't, you need to hear the offer that Jesus gives this guy, who for 38 years has laid on the mat at the pool of Bethesda. Understand, and this is huge, it's simple, but it's huge. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I can't, and I have no one to help me, no longer applies. Because of Jesus, the risen Son of God, I can't, and I have no one to help me, no longer applies. Maple Grove, Jesus, the one we serve, the one we worship, the one we follow, Jesus is not a God of can't. He is a God of can, and he can do anything. He, he, is, he is the God who can do immeasurably more than all we could think, ask, dream of, or imagine. According to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 2,000 years ago, a guy on a mat met Jesus, and he was never the same. Now let's take a look at the offer. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat. He kind of ignored it. I can't, didn't he? <laughs> get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. 
You know, I, I wish we would do that. I, I, I wish that you and I, and I'm definitely included here, I may be standing up here, but I'm sitting out there too. I wish that you and I would just take Jesus at his word. I, I wish we would just believe that when Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, says that something is going to happen, that we believe it is. Why are we so stubborn? Why are we slow in faith? Why are we so unwilling to be made well? I, I mean, when Jesus tells us to stand, why don't we stand? Uh, when Jesus says that your sins are forgiven, why do we still hold on to the guilt? And when Jesus says that we are valuable and that we matter to him, why do we continue to doubt our worth and try to find it in worldly, worthless things? Uh, when the one who clothes the flowers of the field and, and feeds the bird of the air promises to take care of our every need, why do we still worry so much about everyday life? And when he offers us a peace that passes, that transcends all understanding, why do we instead choose conflict and turmoil? Oh, well, when he says that in all things, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, not making this stuff up. Why do we continue to let hurts and habits and hang-ups defeat us? But when he says that in him, we are a new creation, why do we insist that in some ways, we and other people just will never change? And when he tells us that when we forgive other people, that we are the ones set free, why do we choose instead to be locked behind the prison bars of bitterness? When Jesus says, put me first and all things will be given to you, why do we continue to hold back from him our talents, our time, and our treasure? Maple Grove, when Jesus says, get up, Take your mat and walk. Let's do it. 2,000 years ago, a guy on the mat met Jesus, and he was never the same. And here's the point. And here's the time when you get to decide, you know, you know am I going to get a to-go bag today, right? You know, am I gonna, it's like, hey, this wasn't good enough. I'm leaving it on the table. You guys, please throw that junk away, you know. Or say, you know what, I'm going to take a box, and I'm going to take this home. Here's the opportunity where you can say, each of us, myself included, can say, hey, I'm going to make this encounter in John 5, I'm going to make it my encounter with Jesus. Understand, God brought you here today to make you well, to make you healthy, to make you sound, to make you unbroken, to make you undamaged, to make you whole, to help wellness become a reality in your life. And for that wellness to become a reality, four things need to happen. Number one, very simple, but acknowledge and identify the mat, the problem, the issue, the concern in your life that's holding you back. It may be your marriage. It may be your tongue or your temper. It may be your finances. It may be your pride. It, it, it may be a hurt. It may be a hang-up. It may be your inability to say that you're wrong. It may be fear or worry. It may be doubt or insecurity. But again, Acknowledge and identify the mat that is crippling your life, that is crippling your walk and your faith. Uh, number two, make the decision that you really do want to get well. 
that, that you really are ready to move on, that, 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 that you really want, no matter what it takes, to begin living your life you know, without the mat. Number three, do what Jesus tells you to do. Uh, understand, if the guy in the pool of Bethesda had to do more than simply just lay there in order to receive the offer that Jesus gave him, if he had to get up and pick up his mat and walk, then there's something we must do in order to accept his offer of wellness for us. Now, for you, picking up your mat might mean going over to your spouse sometime later this week and taking ownership for your part of the mess that your marriage is in right now without reminding them of the part that they own, and then asking for forgiveness. Picking up your mat may mean going to marriage counseling. Now, picking up your mat for you may mean talking to a trusted brother or sister about the struggle you're having, about that hurt, about that habit, about that attitude, about that hang-up that you want to overcome once and for all. Picking up your mat may mean getting out of the boat and doing the very thing that you know God is calling you to do despite your fear because you know that he's already out on the ways waiting for you to get there. Picking up your mat may, may, may mean forgiving the person who wrongs you, letting go of that bitterness and requiring nothing from them, just forgiving because God forgave you. Picking up your mat for some may mean picking up your Bible and begin reading it so you can encounter Jesus for yourself. I don't know about you, when I eat, I like to eat the food myself. If we went out to a restaurant and you ate and I watched you eat, that wouldn't work for me. It's like, you know, it, it would, unless you're eating something I don't like, then eat it all, right? But it's like, I get no nourishment from watching you eat, you know, and Maybe for you it means, hey, just picking up your Bible and eating the word for yourself. You know, I think most of us already know what we need to do. We just have not been willing to do it. If we don't know, we can be sure that God will tell us if we ask him. We say, God, God, you know what? God, what am I dragging around? God, God, God what is holding me back? I know you got this abundant life. I hear about this inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm just not feeling it. So God, God, what mat am I carrying that I need to put down? And number four, realize that Jesus has a bigger fish to fry than simply removing your problem. And this is huge. You see, this guy's story did not end at the pool. John writes, later Jesus found them at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Woo! Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. The man, made, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Oh, hey, hey this is the guy. It's Jesus. John says, later Jesus found them at the temple. And the word for find is in the present tense and indicates that Jesus was looking and searching for the man. Understand, Jesus was not simply cruising through the temple. Hey, there you are. Hey, how you doing? How are those legs working for you? He said he was looking for the guy. Because he had a much higher purpose for this man than merely healing his legs. Jesus found him. He said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, here's where you know, people can get, them, get themselves hung up on this verse in a theological debate. Oh, my goodness. 
Now, did this guy commit a sin that now he's doing again? Uh, and Jesus says, stop the thing you were doing that messed you up. And, and they get caught up in something they'll never know the answer to. And, and, and they're, they're missing the beauty and the power and the impact of what's actually happening here. See, I, I think here's what Jesus is saying to the guy. He says, listen, I, I know that you felt your physical issue, your problem. Think about your mat, your problem, your challenge, your concern, your difficulty. was important. And look, you're well. The problem's gone. Issue resolved. And you're feeling pretty good about it. And I'm okay with that. But my friend, there's something more essential than having your legs healed and restored. And there's something more valuable and precious than the physical, and that is the spiritual. Jesus said, you see, I came here not just to restore your legs. I came to restore your soul, to make your soul well. Paper Grove, listen up, because we, we also need to get this. Our problem is not really the problem. Our problem is not really the problem. And removing it is not the answer to our wellness and wholeness. Our problem is not the problem. And removing it is not the answer to our wellness and wholeness. And now I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to switch pronouns. A lot of times I I like to use the pronouns we and us. Because sometimes I and you seems like, hey, I'm up here, you guys are peasants, and I got it all going on, but you know, I'm messed up. Those who know me best know how messed up I really am, and I know you're messed up, and I, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm a messed up pastor full of church of messed up people who serve a great Savior who knows how to put us back together again. Amen? But now I'm using your. your. Think about it. Your problem. Your problem is not really the problem. And removing it is not the answer to true wellness and wholeness. True wellness and wholeness goes so much deeper. You see, the question is, do you really want to get well, or do you just want Jesus to remove a problem from your life? Do you really want to be able, do you want to, be able to sing, it is well with my legs, it is well with my marriage, it is well with my career, it is well with my ministry, it is well with my finances, or do you want to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. Now understand, Jesus often takes care of a problem in our life so that he can show us what we really need. And what we really need is a radical, personal, deep, on-fire relationship with him. Maple Grove, the King of Glory wants to do so much more in your life than simply rescue you from your problems. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to be with you. So, so I, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is that, that it's not what we think. Listen, if we think, if we think, if our life's not running like it should, listen, it's not what we think. The problem ultimately is not your job. It's not about your marriage. It's not about your business. It's not about the problems you are suffering. It's not, about, it's not about your parents or your kids. It's, it, it's not about your hurts or your habits or your hang-ups. And, and yes, Jesus can take care of those things, and he often does because he loves us so much, and he's so full of compassion. But listen, Jesus wants you to do more than take away your problems. He wants to take you to himself. He wants you to do more and take away your problems. Jesus wants to take you to himself. He's a real pool, Bethesda. 
He's the ultimate house of mercy. And listen, being with Jesus, when Jesus takes you to himself, that will always take you to wellness and wholeness and make you healthy, sound, unbroken, and undamaged. There's a guy who wrote from a prison cell one time, and he got it. He, he got it from the world, but he got, he got it. <laughs> he had hard times, but, but, but he got it. He, he, he understood it. He understood what, what the real deal was and real, where real life is found. And he took Jesus up on this offer of restoring of the soul. Here's what he wrote from a prison. Not like prisons today, right? I mean, there was no gym, no cable TV, no law library, right? None of this stuff right? Uh, He says this, from a prison, first century. I I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with a little as with much, with much as with little. I I found the recipe for being happy. Oh man, that's something to post on Pinterest, right? Here's a recipe for being happy. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. 2,000 years ago, a guy on the mat met Jesus, and he was never the same. Do you want to get well? You know, this... As we wrap up, this encounter reveals three things, and we're about to get our to-go boxes, right? And, and number one, that Jesus not only can deal with our problems, he can. Any problem you're facing, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any power, right? If God is for you, nothing comes, he can. He can do anything, all right? He can. But that he, not only can he deal with our problems, but that he can take us to true wellness, Wholeness, undamaged, unbroken, whole, contentment. Number two, that we must move from seeking mere surface wellness. God, please remove this problem to seeking wellness for our souls, which is so much deeper and so much better. Number three, that as a church, we must become a place where true wellness and soul wellness is our ultimate goal, which is only found in following Christ. Guys, four years ago this past Thursday, I I stood up here and and preached my first sermon on my Candidate Sunday, right? And some of you are thinking, if we could just get a stinking recount, right? You know, I'm sorry, you know. Uh, But, you know, I got to tell you, what I believed then, I still believe now. My goal then is still my goal now. I, I, I have a very simple goal. I just want to take you to Jesus. I just want you to know him. I want you to hang out with him. Yeah, I want you to have your own relationship with him. I want your Bible and just know him. That's all I want to do. I want you to know this one who loves you so much to die for you and wants to walk with you in your life. That's all I want to do. That's it. He, he'll take care of the rest, you know, He'll take care of the rest. I just want you to know this one who knows you, knows your flaws, 
and still wants to be with you. And that's the place where true wellness is found. Not just in having a problem removed. He'll do that because he loves you. But he wants to do so much more than that. And we're going to sing. And, and, and I, I got to tell you, I got, I got to be honest. Um, yeah, I've been carrying a mat recently. You know, I don't know about you. I don't know if any, any other mat carriers in this room. And, you know, as we sing this song, and, and, and part of my mat was just feeling overwhelmed with church, feeling overwhelmed that you know, all the things that God wants to do and knowing that, you know, you know, that as people grow in their salvation, as they grow in their faith, their marriages become better, their families become better, and they, they reach lost people, and people's eternal destinies are changed, and it could affect hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. And I just felt a huge burden and, and all this fear and you know, inadequacy and doubt and insecurity sweeping over me. And it was just, it's nasty. You know, and, and thinking that, man, this is my mat. It's all up to me, this huge issue, Steve. I can't, God, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. And you know what? I don't need that mat. You know, I can't, but God can. And it's not on him. You know, it's not on me. It's on him. And so pray for me. You know, I don't want to carry it, man. I don't want to think this thing's all up to me or even all up to you. This is his church, and he wants to build it for his glory. So, you know, I got an issue. I got a mat that I'm struggling with, you know, and you may have some too, but I want you to know the ultimate issue, you know, because you know what? If our church grew and became the biggest church in the entire universe ever seen, three million members, I mean, people, you know, whatever. But if I didn't have Jesus, it'd be worth nothing. Jesus said, what would it profit for a man to gain the whole world? but lose his soul. And he's not talking about death. He's talking about losing the life that you could have. What does it mean? It means nothing. All that matters is Jesus. And I don't know, you're facing junk and it's hard and it's difficult. I know that. I I don't know how you're going to fix it. I don't know when it's going to get fixed. And I don't know why you got to keep going through this crap. I don't. But I know where it gets fixed. And the where is at the feet of Jesus. The where is always Jesus. Forget about the how, forget about the why, forget about the when. Always remember the where. The where is at the feet of Jesus. And we serve a God who's always there. And from his perspective, he never delays. And we're going to stand and sing. And if you, if you feel the need to come up and pray right now because you got some junk you, you need prayer for or, or, or whatever, let's just, I'm going to pray and we're going to worship God. Stand. Hey, God, we love you. And God, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And God, I can't wait to meet the guy and, and, and John 5, and, and let them know that his story helped my story. And God, I thank you for Aaron sharing her story, and that you're a God who changes lives. And God, that we're a work in progress, but hey, we're in progress. We're making progress. We, we, we may not be who we're going to be, but we're not who we once were because of your power and your glory and your strength in us. And God, so I pray for my, my family out there, God, and for those who, if someone's really struggling, God, God, maybe they need to come up here if they feel the need to do that and just pray. Let them do that. But God, help us to know that our problem's not our problem. What we need is you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.